0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.
2: The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
3: Thursday morning, the 1st of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The cost of building uh, the children's hospital at 1.1 billion euro was always going to make it one of the most expensive hospitals in the world, bogged down with some 900 claims from developers. That bill now looks certain to double over 2 billion euro. But yesterday in the doll, the Taoiseach wouldn't be drawn on what the final price might be. What's more, the hospital is not expected to open until 2024. That's 10 years later than the original plan to open which was in 2014. So lots of questions again about the most expensive hospital in the world 10 years behind schedule and at twice the original estimated cost. Let's speak to David Cullinan, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on health and TD for Waterford. And A very good morning to you David Cullinan and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Your party leader Mary Lou MacDonald told the teacher yesterday that we need clarity and answers and that the Taoiseach needs to get to grips with this debacle and she also said that she wouldn't accept his answer uh, that he couldn't tell people what the final cost will be but I think the reality is is nobody knows is it not
4: Well I think uh, at this stage given that we have a high level group in place uh, led by the, secu- the gen in the Department of Health that we should certainly have clearer answers and certainly a much clearer time frame in terms of when the hospital will actually be opened, but also uh, more information on costs. So we have had the uh, board of the the, the, the board of the new hospital in before the Oireachtas Health Committee and they've been before the Public Accounts Committee probably around seven or eight times in the last two years. And we've never been able to get an up-to-date figure. And yes, there is a conciliation process and there are claims outstanding, which we'll get to in a, in a moment. But we should have at least an estimation of what the the final cost will be. and It is frustrating that that can't be given. Uh, We also have been given a number of different dates over the last uh, number of years of when the hospital will will officially open. And of course, all of those dates have been missed. And what we're now seeing from a freedom of information request of minutes that appeared in the Irish Times yesterday, that discussions at this high level group uh, are uncertain Uh, or or seem to suggest that there is uncertainty as to when the hospital will actually be completed and when the works will be completed and when the hospital will be opened. And for a lot of people looking at this, they want a new National Children's Hospital. If you're passing the site, you can see the shell, the building itself. It looks impressive. I know that when the hospital is built, it will make an absolutely massive difference to children's healthcare. It will have much more surgical theatre capacity than the hospitals in Crumlin and Temple Street. It will have single isolation rooms. It will have first-class facilities. So nobody doubts the potential of the hospital and the need for the hospital. But it has to be said, Michael, that it has been a long-running saga. And Mm. what we learned a number of months ago at the Oireachtas Health Committee was that there was 989 claims uh, outstanding still. And they uh, total an amount of 480 million euro. So obviously those claims now have to be adjudicated upon. That process was stalled for the best part of six months. The Taoiseach indicated yesterday that maybe that process, uh, that conciliation process is now working again. Um, and obviously, uh, that conciliation process will lead to judgments one way or the other.
3: Okay, so and up, do you want up, to preempt up, those up, judgments? Up, I think that's uh, the point that Taoiseach was making to your party leader. Don't preempt those judgments uh, because those estimates are estimates that have been made by the contractors who are looking for that a half uh, a billion euro. Uh, so, why concede to that without fighting it?
4: Of course, they should fight it, uh, and, and we're not saying that. Taoiseach can give an absolute uh, precise figure, but he can give the best estimation that the Department of Health has as to what this cost would be. And you can separate out from that then all of these claims which are part of the conciliation process, because what we're also hearing is that construction inflation costs is leading to additional costs as well. The memo that was released talks about uh, any additional costs having to go before Cabinet and Cabinet having to sign off on them. So, I have no doubt Mm. that there is estimated costs in the Department of Health. I have no doubt about
3: that. Okay, but the Taoiseach has given you the official estimate. Uh, The government has approved 1.433 billion euro for it.
4: Yes, and uh, only about a year and a half ago, that estimate was 987 million. Now it's 1.4 billion. And by the way, that doesn't include the 300 million euro of what they call integration costs because this hospital has to integrate with the existing site and other satellite hospitals in uh, Tala oh, yeah. and elsewhere as well. So the true cost of this, as we as we speak this morning, will be about £1.7 um, And, you know, questions have to be asked as to why that conciliation process was parked for so long. And it's still not clear whether or not the Taoiseach is right and that conciliation process has commenced again. But even if it does, we know that many of the claims that were, that were adjudicated upon by using the conciliation process, ended up in the, in the High Court. Uh, and there are still High Court uh, judgments which are pending. So, yes, there is a lot of uncertainty around all of that. And that's uh, in no small part down to the procurement process that, we, that was used, a very unusual process for the public sector. That has led now to uh, thousands of claims which have been made by the contractor, some of which have been settled, the vast majority of which are still in conciliation, some before the High Court, uh, the can kick down the road. Uh, no sense of when all of this would be fully adjudicated upon and when we'll have final costs of that. Mm. Uh, but we also don't know what the, the cost overruns are in relation to uh, inflation costs, construction uh, costs and so on, which are, are also adding...
3: OK, GDP. but Total you amount. don't know and the TShock doesn't know and the TShock says that all of these claims that are being made by the developers against the state essentially which will add to this bill if those claims are successful are being contested so they may not be contested so it would be foolhardy of him to concede that they're going to have to pay out this money
4: and I'm not making that point at all Michael so if I can just be clear on what I'm, what I'm saying I don't think it's beyond the government to give us the most, the, the most up to date information that they have so we know that a high level group has been established to manage these costs it has been led by the secretary general in the department of health to give it that level of authority uh, they're looking at a number of things two things happening at the same time one is increased costs of construction which we know is happening because raw materials are increasing but also an increased cost in inflation and we know that because of the procurement process that was used uh, these costs some of those costs at least are borne by by the states so that part of it at least should be made known and that's on top of the £1.7 billion that we already know it will cost. Separate from that, we then should be given the information as to has there been any additional claims? Where is that process? Has conciliation recommenced? When is it likely to conclude? Uh, of course, we can't uh, know uh, what that final cost will be because that would be uh, an issue for the courts on the one hand and this conciliation process. But at least we should know what the estimated potential cost might be And I think that's the problem here. There's a real lack of transparency around this process. There's a high-level group where a journalist had to put an FOI in to get information as to what they were talking about at a time when we have had the same board in before the Oireachtas Health Committee and the Public Accounts Committee asking the same questions of being told that they don't have answers. When it's clear from what we can see in the FOI and, and the minutes of those meetings, there are answers. They are doing estimates. And I think it is important for that information be put into the public there aren't
3: definitive answers though are there i mean a a source told to that same journalist that there is constructive engagement between all parties but there's an increased urgency to finally understand what the actual cost of the hospital will be
4: and and let me be, be very clear as well michael i want this issue sorted once and for all it doesn't suit anybody that this debacle continues to roll on from week to week month to month year to year It has been an absolute disaster. People will make their own judgments on the government's ability to build hospitals or build homes, which it seems to have an inability to do. But at the the heart of all of this is a need for a children's hospital, which I want to see happen as quickly as possible. It is a a source of deep frustration to me that I was invited onto your programme to to talk about this issue. I I often get invited onto programmes to talk about what is the cost. Where are we? When will the hospital be built? I can't provide answers to those questions because I'm not being given that information. Mm. I'm not saying that we can be given at any one point in time a precise amount because of the conciliation process, but I am saying clearly that we can be given more information and greater certainty in relation to what the potential overruns will be beyond the 1.7 billion. Mm. Uh, and I think that your comment at the, the top of this uh, uh, programme that it will top 2 billion. Is fairly accurate i think that's the territory that we're in possibly higher
3: there seems to be little doubt about that how do you go from 1.1 billion to 2 billion plus
4: well it's because at the very start of this process this procurement process it was design only uh, and it meant that any additional challenges or problems that would arise in terms of the contract would have to then be borne by the state or at least a conciliation process would be put in place it was actually quite a unique contract a contract never used before by the public service and it has worked out to be an absolute disaster because what it has led to is cost overrun after cost overrun, claim after claim. And the total number of claims and this was given to us a number of months ago so we haven't been given the up-to-date number and that's part of the problem but the total number of claims as of the last time the board from before the Erector's Health Committee, which was a number of months ago, was 1,623. Mm. And about 989 of those claims are still undecided, unresolved. And if there is good engagement, that's great. I want all of those claims solved, obviously, uh, in, in the interest of the state and less burden on the taxpayer. Mm. But, but history has shown us here that many of those claims have ended up in the High Court. And, and that's the fear that this will rumble on and rumble on mm. uh, and what's also unclear as well is is when the hospital will actually be open because that's the most important thing for me mm. we have children with scoliosis and spina bifida for example who are seen in Crumlin and Temple Street in Kappa who are having their surgeries cancelled mm. uh, very often because of that clash between scheduled and unscheduled care and and their procedures as complex as they are I've seen as elective procedures. Hmm. So, what we know is that in this new children's hospital, there will be protected surgical
3: hmm. capacity. And that's the one thing everybody agrees that on the importance of the hospital. I think uh, there's been talk about uh, a hospital uh, of uh, this sort and the important need for one for more than 20 years uh, at this stage. But I, I still don't understand, uh, and I wouldn't let on that I would generally speaking have any understanding of construction costs. But the Taoiseach was talking yesterday. About the war, uh, the energy increase prices and uh, the knock-on effect on construction and everything else uh, and that that is feeding into
0: the overall I have, I have to respond
4: to that Michael because but, 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 uh, but, but,
3: I, okay, go I, ahead I can, mm-hmm.
4: I can accept yeah. that the T-shirt may not be able to give a precise amount yeah. I don't accept that he can't yeah. give more information yeah. Uh, but these cost overruns existed long before the well, that,
3: was, that was the question I wanted to ask you and I, as I say I don't really understand construction but I, I know if I get an extension done on my house before the war let's say now people mightn't give you a price but before the war let's say uh, you, a builder generally would give you a price 10% either way depending uh, but 100% uh, over 100% more expensive than the original estimate it's just impossible to fathom really
4: it is and, and, and that's and that's the big challenge that we have and, and you know, I don't want to be on your programme talking about the negative side of the National Children's Hospital because I, I, I genuinely want to see this hospital built and I know that when it is built it will make a big difference to the 102,000 children who are currently on waiting lists. Um, but this is part of the, the frustration that I have that I can accept, as I said, limitations of what information I can be given. I think that more information can be given and on, I've outlined on that but there is no circumstance in which I'm going to accept that the war in the Ukraine is responsible for the cost overruns in the Children's Hospital. Whenever before there was a war in the Ukraine, we had major problems with this contract and cost overruns. And In fact, that, that figure of £1.7 7 was mentioned long before yeah. uh, there was a war in the Ukraine. Yeah. So and I, just I think don't when think
3: that it was that mentioned, people and were saying and it wouldn't People were saying I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up over £2 billion, uh, and that goes back to before February uh, of uh, this year. I want to talk about uh, another hospital while you're with us uh, because uh, it's been confirmed this week uh, that ambulances will bypass Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. This is uh, the first of a two-step process uh, to closing the emergency department in the hospital. This is what the Taoiseach had to say about it in the doll this week. To
5: in Delta. relation to the ambulance protocols, those are clinical decision um, we have to be very careful here uh, and my understanding is that uh, in the absence of those decisions around ambulance protocols we could end up with seriously ill patients being attended by uh, doctors at a level at a junior level that may not necessarily have the expertise needed uh, These. I know no, it's very serious we can't second guess clinical advice on these matters I think we, we all need to be very collectively careful no, no, th- no, no,
3: Micheál no. Martin Taoiseach uh, speaking in uh, the Dáil earlier this week patient safety at the heart of uh, this decision uh, according to uh, the Taoiseach David Cullen, do you welcome that?
4: Well, I will always put patient safety first as well, Michael, but I think there is a, a bit of a, a difference that the Taoiseach is not making and I think, to, I think it needs to be made. Of course, uh, there is uh, advice that has to come from clinicians and there is clinical advice, of course, that's the case. But there is also government policy which stems from the small hospitals framework which set out very clearly that a lot of the Model 3 hospitals, all of which have now transitioned to Model 2 hospitals elsewhere in the state, including, as we know, in the Midwest, and we know that the consequences of uh, that for, for Limerick and for the wider Midwest region. Uh, but the, the closure of the a and in, in, in Navin Hospital is a direct policy consequence of that small hospital's framework that decided that many of these Model 3 hospitals would become Model 2 hospitals. I have no doubt that there is patient safety issues in Navin. There are patient safety issues in many emergency departments. You only have to look at the wait times and the response times across many of them in Cork, in Limerick, and Galway, in Dublin, Limerick obviously being the worst, but there was one case uh, in July of this year, Michael, where a, a patient, an older person over the age of 75, was nine and a half days in a hospital corridor before that patient was admitted to a, a bed. And I spoke directly to uh, a wife of uh, a man that passed away in a hospital trolley in Limerick. He was three and a half days in a, in a corridor on a hospital trolley waiting for admission and he died with the indignity of dying in a corridor on a hospital trolley. So there are many, many issues of patient safety that need to be addressed in lots of hospitals. It doesn't mean that you close the service. That's not always the best option, and I I think that's the problem here. And listen, if we cut to the chase, uh, what Minister Donnelly is essentially doing is is closing the emergency department. The first step is this bypass protocol, and listeners in your own locality will remember that previous uh bypass uh, protocols that were put in place where was matched with commitments to increase funding and capacity which actually never happened as you well know uh, and there's a fear that minister donnelly said before any decision is made for Navin and that additional capacity would be put in place in terms of the ambulance service uh in uh, drogheda uh, in hospitals in dublin and we haven't seen any size of that in fact we haven't seen sight of this independent uh, panel that the Minister put in place of this independent report which he commissioned which we were hoping would set out a clear clinical rationale as to what additional capacity we put in elsewhere. I haven't seen that Michael, I don't know if you have seen it no. all I have seen is a letter coming from the hospital manager to staff saying that Minister Donnelly has now finally given the go ahead from his perspective to close the emergency department. What we haven't seen of that independent report or I, I'm not clear what additional capacity has been put in place. And I, and I think that is not the appropriate way to proceed.
3: OK, but you believe the emergency department uh, is closing. It's in the process of closing as a result of this first step out of two steps to close it.
4: Well, it clearly is, because what it says is that uh, those remaining critically ill patients in the region that's serviced by Navin would be bypassed with an ambulance straight to a hospital, a level 3 or level 4 hospital, either in Dublin or Drogheda. And it also says that the second step in that process would be essentially the closing of the emergency department and turning that emergency department into um, a medical assessment unit. But a medical assessment unit for a model 2 hospital, which is worlds apart, a world apart from a medical assessment unit in a model 3 or model 4 hospital, they're completely different uh, things. That's what's uh, happening. That's what the letter says. That's what the minister is doing. Um, and in my view, it goes against the commitment that he gave to all of RTIS members uh, that he would carry out an independent report. He would obviously listen to clinicians, which I would do. But then he would set out what additional capacity was put in place. Uh, I haven't seen any of that. All I have seen is this letter, which gives the go-ahead for the service
3: to close. We leave it on that. Now, thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Yeah. Sinn Fein's uh, spokesperson on health, David Cullenan, TD.
1: Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. New legislation uh, becomes law today, which should have a positive impact on people working in tourism, hospitality, hairdressing, in the taxi industry, and uh, delivery services uh, for that matter. This is to do with tips and gratuities, which were intended for. The workers going to the workers. Tom Fitzgerald is the regional coordinating officer with uh, the Unite Trade Union, which represents many people working in hospitality. Good morning, Tom, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. All tips now will go to all staff, is it?
6: Good morning to you, uh, Tim, Michael, and your listeners. And yes, today is an important day uh, with the um, establishment of the Payment of Wages Amendment Tips and Gratuities Act of 2022. And for the first time, actually, in law, all tips and service charges are protected in law. um, And the legislation makes specific provision that uh, uh, tips uh, need to be uh, distributed in a fair and transparent way all employees must be consulted on how tips are distributed and the specific rules then attached to it, whether it's card or uh, whether it's cash tips. Mm. Uh, And there's an obligation on employers then to make sure that uh, the advise customers as well, but there's transparency around that. So, yeah, very, very positive.
3: All right, so if you pay a tip on your card, it should still go to the staff because a a lot of people have been cynical about doing that and have preferred to leave cash tips.
6: Yeah, I've been in the exact same situation myself. I've often wondered if that's the case, but yes, if it's through electronic means, um, that has to be uh, illustrated as well, how that actually goes to the staff as well.
3: Yeah, and you have to display that information in the restaurant or whatever the business is uh, to explain to people where their money goes. Uh, You say that the tips need to be distributed fairly that can be interpreted differently, though, can't it? Uh, because some staff uh, may be seen to be more senior than others and may be entitled to a bigger share of the pie.
6: Yeah, there's, there's specific provisions in the legislation in terms of actually how it should be done, references are made to seniority, um, and to really, I mean, at the heart of the legislation from that point of view is that workers themselves are best placed, to work out what's fair and appropriate in the circumstances and like I say every time I'm on your show Mike and like my colleagues uh, in the hospitality with Sage every time Julia and others who've been on your show the best way to ensure fairness transparency and decency is that people and the trade union they're organised combined together both in terms of engagement with their employer, but also in terms of engagement with each other. We have structures and rules about how things are done uh, in a fair and, and equitable way. But to be honest with you, fundamentally, Michael, in my experience, is that if it's left to workers, they'll do the right thing on behalf of each other. That, mm-hmm. that, I, I don't see that being a problem, as long as employers do the right thing. And thankfully, many do already. And this is just about ensuring that those who don't Uh, and there's a mechanism to to enforce them to do so, you know.
3: Yeah, to do the right thing uh, and uh, to give uh, people their money because that's uh, who it was intended for. Uh, But uh, there's a huge turnover of staff, I I think, in hospitality. Tom, what if somebody comes to work for a week or a month or six months? uh, Are they guaranteed that they'll get the tips that was intended for them uh, during the time period that we're working there, because I, I think there was a report not so long ago of uh, one uh, particular establishment that paid tips at the end of the year.
6: Yes, and, and the legislation, uh, while obviously Unite uh, you know, has been central to uh, the uh, enactment of the legislation, my colleagues, Julia Marciniak and others, have been uh, key campaigners in this over a whole period of time, and well, we're delighted to see the legislation in place. We know it's not a panacea for all the yields of workers. You have to be organised in the workplace to make sure that that fairness actually applies. Now, the legislation has provisions in there um, that you can advance matters to the BRC. And In fact, if it's found that an employer has been in breach of the legislation, it's actually an offence there's a, there's a particular fine provided for it and so on and so forth. Mm. The difficulty is with all of that is uh, um, if you're only relying on legislation, uh, uh, you know, an individual worker will struggle to be able to advance their rights in that regard mm. and it'll also be a struggle to go to WRC and so on and so forth. If you have 10 workers in a workplace, 5, 20, 50, if people are working together, they're organising to a trade union, it mitigates all of those bad practices coming into place and the obvious point that you said there uh, if a worker who was only there for a couple of weeks the money that was given by the customer was intended for the workers yeah. I'd imagine most people would be uh, intended and based as distributed in a fair way and that should happen
3: yeah, and most employers are, are fair and do the right thing as you say we're talking about unscrupulous employers and it's just a, a, mar- a matter of the law putting manners on them Uh, Like a a lot of things, they'll find a a way of bending the law or breaking the law, as the case may be. There's fines of up to €2,500, apparently, for not displaying information on how tips are paid out to employees. But when they are paid out to employees, is there the potential for trouble for people working in these industries? Because there's a record of that payment now, uh, a payment uh, that went unnoticed before. uh, And will it be subject to tax?
6: Uh, i 'm not aware of any particular measures in that regard, uh, and I think what we 're talking about i don 't think um that that should feature actually in the circumstances because it's a discretionary payment that 's going to be paid over I think'd be very very hard to manage and it's it it 's in recognition um of obviously the service charge but obviously the nature of the industry as well so i i, I don't think that i don't think that's something that um would be practical actually to be be honest with you I think the focus needs to be on actually and then you're right to reference the point that most employers particularly in hospitality Mm. uh, in large measure people employers did the right thing but also I'd make this point as well to those who um, are actually uh, availing of hospitality going to coffee shops restaurants and so on and so forth ask the question uh, say, listen, what's happening with the tips? How does that work? You know, in a nice way. Mm. Uh, and if, the, if people, uh, the employers are doing the right thing, they don't have any difficulty. And what it will do, it'll create the culture of compliance, it'll create a culture of doing the right thing. It'll also say to the worker, do you know what? It's actually okay to raise this. It's okay to reference that. And again, finally, Michael, the point will be in work, where workers can't assert their rights in a comfortable way. They need to be organised in a trade union, and that's the best way to make sure employers do the right thing.
3: Yeah. Okay. Uh, no problem making that point and unite, uh, as said at the beginning, represents a lot of people working in, in hospitality. Uh, but just to conclude, Tom, uh, you said people could go into restaurants or cafes and ask uh, where their tips will go. That's if that's if they're tipping. Uh, it's a relatively new thing in this country for people to tip. Uh, is it a, a common practice now at this stage or uh, do most people tip or not?
6: I, I think it is. I think most people uh, will do. Actually, that does, does I see, do you know what I mean? If I yeah. go and get a cup of coffee, I kind of round her up. If I go in and get some more substantial, I like kind of apply a percentage. Should I be, and how much? people that I know, how much, yeah. how much, uh, well, it depends on what I depends. I try really to be as generous Well, coffee. I I was reading. I was like reading recently. Well, I, I don't know. I, food I, food I, food
3: was, food. I was. I was reading recently that uh, a lot of people would have been given ten percent, and that it should actually be fifteen percent. But uh that, that actually became a heated conversation with people I know.
6: Yeah, well, I, I think it's a case of uh, I suppose if, if, if you're in a position to be out having maybe a nice lunch or something like that somewhere, I always factor to the back of my head well, you should be making sure that uh, you factor in a couple of quid for the people who are looking after you. Uh, the same applies to my mind actually barbershops and taxis as well. I have that culture in my mind uh, uh, because these people are providing you with a particular service. So absolutely be as generous as you can. I'm not asking for anybody to go, to go broke. Uh, uh, but it, it's a nice culture. Uh, and we just have to make sure that there's fairness on the far side in terms of distribution that's what today okay. is about and I, right. again I want to spay, uh, pay uh, special thanks to my own colleagues who've been battling this for a number of years And know Julie was on your yep. show in the past and there's been other full-time and yep. mm. random numbers in here. so yeah, and thanks yeah. for yourself yeah. as well Michael for, yeah. for, for, for giving us such it's air a, time but really appreciate it
3: It's a good day for workers I think Tom thank you indeed for joining us this morning Tom Fitzgerald Regional Coordinating Officer with the United Trade Union
1: Michael Reed Reed
3: on LMFM. If you're spending more than 10% of your household's net income on energy, you are considered to be in energy poverty. 40% of households in this country are in energy poverty. That's according to the ESRI's latest research, which was published yesterday. As a, a lot of people, finding it difficult uh, to make ends meet. And this 1st of December, there's many challenges ahead going into the festive season. And if you're wondering how you're going to afford Christmas, There's a lot of advice for you, much more than I expected uh, when we asked Michael Lafferty, the regional manager with North Leinster, Mab's, uh, to join us on the line. Mab's is the Money Advice and Budgeting Service. Good morning to you, Michael, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, You've set up a a specific section of your website to help people manage to afford Christmas, Mab's.ie forward slash boss budget. And I I think the starting point, you say, is to do what Santa does, make a list and check it twice.
1: (laughs) Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and as the song says, you know, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. That is the starting point, definitely. In, In actual fact, that list really... Uh, Michael, is uh, for January or February for the following Christmas where you start then saving and putting money aside. Right. But in the context of us now being on the 1st of December, obviously that's about next year, you know. But mm. the, making the list is so important and very often people when they're making the list are thinking of the gifts they have to give. But in actual fact, when you look at Christmas, uh, the cost goes much wider than the gifts. So you have increased food costs, uh, you may have increased travel costs because you're travelling to relations, you might be travelling home, you might be visiting, uh, you might have even increased fuel costs because mm-hmm. people are at home for a period and there's fires being lit and coal being burned or briquettes being burned or logs or whatever. So it's not just gifts, so it's, it's all aspects of Christmas. So you really need mm-hmm. to sit down and mm-hmm. list out everything potentially that is going to um, give you extra mm-hmm. cost over uh, uh, and,
3: and a lot yeah. of parents very worried about the cost of gifts obviously uh, and wondering uh, how they can afford them on one hand and not wanting anybody to be disappointed on the other hand. and uh, and thinking well maybe the credit card is there or maybe the money lender is there or that sort of thing
1: Yeah and I suppose that will be a concern because um, you know if you find yourself that you have to borrow for Christmas you really need to think long and hard about that because those repayments uh, will be <coughs> hitting you next year when, when we said the benefit of Christmas is long gone. It's different if you borrow for a car and you're sitting in it, you borrow for three years you're sitting in it every day to drive you still have that benefit but why you have the benefit for Christmas for a few days if you have to borrow, which is fine if you can afford it but you're still going to be paying that back over a period and actually one of the challenges on borrowing Michael at the yeah. moment is um, when you're going to buy online, very often it will jump off the screen at you saying "Oh, sp- uh, spread this payment for this thing over three payments or four payments you know, which is Mm -hmm. very attractive Uh, but the issue is that's for every single item that you buy so suddenly every 30 days there's money being taken out of your account for the items that you have purchased say the first or second week in in December so while it's attractive at the time we would sort of of say be very careful if you can afford it fine but be very careful not to be sucked into that oh it's it's quite dear looking at the price but hold Mm -hmm. on if I spread that over three payments because that's what the web page is telling me. Yeah
3: the modern day version of what we used to call the never ever
1: yes yes buy now pay later in essence it's called you know
3: yeah and, and there's hidden costs as well especially since Brexit and VAT
1: Well, you're spot on. I was just about to cover that as well. Be careful, too, if you're online shopping, where's the goods coming from? Because if they're from outside the EU, you could well be hit with customs and VAS charges. So you want to be very careful on that front as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about online in particular is don't be distracted from your list because there'll be loads of other offers for other items put in front of you and it can be very easy to get distracted and think, "Oh, that's a great deal. I'll buy one or two of those. But going back to family, Michael, you Mm -hmm. mentioned there, you know, everybody's so conscious of the cost of living increases and all the, the talk about it that you know people I think are much more open now to families having discussions saying well instead of me buying a present for every single one of my family members can we come together can we do a secret Santa where we all get one present and <coughs> we agree a limit on that uh, as to how much would be to spend. Now, Now some people would sort of cringe at that because they think, oh, I don't know what I'm going to get. It'll be rubbish. But, or it'll be something I don't want. But there's also another evolution of that now where there's apps where um, you can tell a family member, listen, I'm actually going to spend X amount for uh, on you for Christmas. Will you go into this particular app and put a list of the items that you might like? you know, rather yeah. than me getting you something that would be of no use to you. And it can be a way of people saying, well, listen, I couldn't afford to buy something, but I know somebody's going to give me a, bit, a gift to the value of that, and I'd love to have maybe one or two of these particular list of items as options, you know. Mm. So it's about mm. being smart, I suppose, in that sense. And, and I think, you know, everybody is much more in tune with the, the impact on people, and I don't think people would have an issue now
3: mm. with people' sense well, would you mind, if we yeah, went that route, you We're know? all living in the same world, aren't we? And we We, we, are, we all yeah, know that yeah, this is yeah. a tough Christmas, uh, and we have to keep our feet in the ground. Uh, If you can't afford it, should you buy it?
1: Well... (laughs) Well, the reality is no. If you can't afford it, it doesn't make sense to buy it, you know. Uh, And it really doesn't make sense. If you can't afford it, then the challenge would be, well, can you even afford then to pay the borrowing on it if you put it on a credit card, you know. Uh, The danger can be, Michael, that um, people, when they get their December salary, take the view they spend the whole salary and they will worry later about all of the bills and all that sort of stuff that that can come in. And the other challenge can be, um, for people who are working, very often employers will pay a week early, you know. Uh, in December and then suddenly there's a five week before the next monthly payment comes in or there's a longer gap before the next salary is due and it can be very challenging then to to say cover the normal household expenses you know yeah. it can be a trap that people fall into
3: you know Okay. well there's a lot of uh, traps uh, there's a lot of advice from Mab's on oh eight one eight oh seven two thousand 2000 or WhatsApp 0860353141 just look up Mab's and especially Mab's.ie forward slash boss boss
1: yeah that would be the one Michael I think because there's a lot of stuff there that uh, you wouldn't even get time to cover now in terms of talking to you, but there's loads of information there. and It's a very user-friendly site, you know. And there, feel free to contact yeah. any MABS yeah. office for any help. That's over we're yeah. there
3: and for. And some great advice uh, that a lot of us wouldn't think of. Michael, thank you very much indeed. No, no, Michael, thank you, thank, thank you very much. Happy, happy Christmas to happy you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's early. Michael Lafferty, regional manager for the North Leinster branch of MABS, that's the money advice and budgeting service.
1: Michael, Michael
3: Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, there's a, a really interesting question I think being asked at uh, the moment, uh, and I think depending on who you speak to, you'll get different answers to it. Uh, but is there any any need for anybody to have a pit bull, uh, an American pit bull terrier, or an English bull terrier, or a Staffordshire bull terrier, or a bull mastiff? Uh, these are just some of uh, the dogs uh, on the ten dangerous breeds list in uh, this country. They're restricted dogs. Uh, is there a need for anybody to have them? Uh, do people have them because they like the dogs? Are, are they for protection? Are they for security? Are they being used by drug dealers as a, a, a way uh, of keeping uh, them safe? Uh, do people need Doberman pinchers or Rottweilers? And uh, what about a German Shepherd? Is that a, a, a dangerous dog? Is it one that should be muzzled? Is it one that should be on a short lead? Is it one that should never be walked by anybody under the age of 16? Uh, Because that is the law when it comes to all of uh, these 10 dangerous breeds. A German Shepherd is on that list. Should the German Shepherd be a pet? Uh, should it be one of the band dogs instead of one of uh, the dangerous breeds? Uh, there's a Rhodesian Ridgeback that's also on that list, a Akita, a Japanese Tosa, and a band dog, which is a crossbreed of some of these breeds. Why am I asking you this? Uh, because it seems to be the question that the Taoiseach is asking. We'll hear uh, what the T-Shock had to say yesterday. It, it of course, follows uh, this story that has just Shook the nation Um, to think of this little nine-year-old boy uh, and uh, the situation that he is in and indeed the fear and concern that the family uh, must have. Such a good-looking boy by all accounts. Alandro Alandro Mizan uh, was a very sociable young lad, lots of friends uh, his whole life ahead of him Uh, and uh, to end up in hospital with uh, such terrible, terrible injuries uh, because he was out playing as children should be on a Sunday afternoon to be attacked like that by a dog um, which shouldn't have been on the loose. Uh, A man is uh, in court uh, as we've been hearing about that uh, will be facing charges uh, in, in respect of it uh, but it shouldn't be the case. It wouldn't, I, I said the other day, it, it wouldn't be the case if the law was enforced, but it, it wouldn't be the case if you weren't allowed to have one of these dogs. That seems to be the question that the Taoiseach's asking. Uh, we'd like to hear from you on that. We'll hear from the Taoiseach in a, a moment about it and what he said in the Doll yesterday about it, uh, but we'd like to hear from you. If you'd like to tell us what you think about the 10 dangerous breeds that should be muzzled.
7: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.
3: They should be on a short lead uh, and they should be walked by a person over 16. Is that enough? Should that law be enforced? Would that be enough? Uh, And should they be banned altogether? Uh, Because there's a number of dogs that are banned in the country. Uh, if you'd like to make comment on that 0419832000 is our telephone number you can ring us on 0419832000 you can whatsapp or text 0861800658 uh, as i said i think some people uh, will feel very strongly uh, on this uh, and depending uh, who you speak to uh, you'll get completely different answers we'd be interested to hear and get a, a feel uh, for what uh, the majority think about some of these dogs are they pets or should they be banned uh, you can text 086180-658. 800 that's the same number if you want to whatsapp 086180-658 800 or email michael at lmfm.ie as I say we'll come to what the Taoiseach had to say about that in a moment but just uh, some of uh, the other comments uh, coming to us uh, this morning Sandra in touch with us to say 15% of uh, tip no problem glad to give it if the service is good if the service is very bad I don't tip at all Uh, And I like to think that when I do tip, if the service is good, that it goes to the waiter. Thanks indeed uh, for that, Uh, Sandra. What about the chef or the dishwasher? Uh, Do they uh, (laughs) get any of uh, the 15%? Somebody else in touch saying can't afford to tip. Uh, It's too expensive to go out. Restaurants are far too expensive in this country. I wish I could uh, afford to go to a restaurant, let alone to tip in one. Uh, Somebody else saying uh, this discussion about uh, whether it should be 10% or 15% is to do with the increase in uh, the cost of living. But it's a false narrative because the cost of food is more expensive. Now, if you go into a restaurant, it's at least 5% more expensive than it used to be. So 10% of the cost of the meal is worth much more than it used to be. So why increase it to 15% when you're already giving more on your tips? Uh, uh, another text uh, from uh, John who says uh, it's unbelievable uh, how the cost of uh, the Children's Hospital has gone from 1.1 billion to what is now expected to be over 2 billion. Uh, he says the developers obviously have a big window and they see the Exchequer coming. They saw them coming with a government blank check and said, oh, yeah, yeah, one point million. whatever you're saying yourself, lads, uh, no doubt about it, uh, but then uh, knowing that it's a blank check, uh, they're able to uh, increase that uh, very quickly, as is uh, the case with the hospital. Uh, Text then, uh, WhatsApp message from somebody who says, no such thing as a bad dog, just bad owners. It's as simple as that. Okay, Um, so should the dogs be... Uh, banned or should the owners be banned from having them? Uh, They are considered to be dangerous breeds. uh, The Taoiseach saying that they shouldn't be pets or why do people have them as pets? Uh, Carmel, uh, thank you for your WhatsApp message uh, to the programme today. She says, the insistence of locating the children's hospital in the inner city in spite of the will of the people and the forewarning of many advocates has caused dearly and will continue to do so. Will the decision makers be held accountable? I'll support any Expenditure, no matter how much it is, to deliver the brief for the benefits of six children. Despite the current spend, the corridor linked maternity has not been delivered and may never be. So there's a failure to deliver the brief, says Carmel. Thank you indeed uh, for that, uh, for your uh, WhatsApp message, as always, Carmel. Uh, A text that came to us earlier from Marion Trim saying uh, she hoped that there would be no hold-ups at Kilmoon Cross or the roadworks around Dublin this morning because there's going to be a big scramble for front seats in the doll today. I think that could be the case, all right, uh, with... uh, The address by Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the president of the European Commission later, it'll be interesting to see what she has to say. She'll be uh, undoubtedly talking as we've been hearing about Ukraine and energy prices and all of that sort of thing, Uh, but uh, possibly about the Northern Ireland protocol and what happens next in uh, the steps that could lead to the restoration of uh, the institutions in Northern Ireland or not and what uh, that might mean and uh, indeed uh, the next steps in Brexit for that better and what that might mean. All right, uh, you were hearing on LMFM's news yesterday about uh, some concerns in RD that were raised by Fergus O'Dowd in the doll and we'll hear a, a little bit of that contribution that he made now.
8: 60% of the girls attending the school, that's the troker school, they have siblings attending a DESH school. In first class, 73% of the students who are essentially girls have a brother or a sister in one of the other DESH schools. In third class, 80% of them. And in sixth class, 76% of pupils in sixth class have a sibling in the local DESH school. So from the very first day, a girl goes to school in the town of RD they are discriminated against by DESH decisions now desh is supposed to be delivering equality of education it's actually delivering inequality it's delivering gender bias and it's delivering an unacceptable situation it's also fact minister that the school are telling me and unfortunately with the with the cost of living crisis this is endemic in our society obviously they do note that a number of children come to school with no lunch that's girls have no lunch or an inadequate lunch and in fact they, they they're sourcing food locally and they also keep sliced pan and other food in their freezer for children in need so something must change here minister because you're perpetuating inequality in our society gender inequality a young girl i'm a grandparent but i i have i have boys and girls in my grandchildren i've by God, I would not stand for that. That the boys get the lunches and they get the dash and the girls get nothing. Now, that has to change. Uh, now, I know there was appeal put into the school and it's been turned down. And in the words of the department, it, it was a fair and final decision. Well, it's not fair and it's not final. And I want all of the parents in this country, they, they are entitled, their children are entitled to, to a hot school meal or food and water in the primary schools that they go to. And it's absolutely disgraceful, and I just cannot stand over this, Minister.
3: Right, and that's very so Dad Finnegati Day. The truth of the matter is, uh, the children attending school where Natroka NRD are not uh, entitled to hot meals or any meals. And uh, the school principal, Deirdre Sweeney, has written to the Department of Education about the school's application for the school meals local project system. And as you heard there, the teachers are taking items from their own lunch boxes to share with the students so that they don't go hungry because they're turning up with an inadequate lunch and they are keeping slice pans in the freezer so that if some of the children are hungry, there's at least uh, some bread for them uh, that can be uh, obtained very quickly. But uh, as undoubtedly you heard yesterday, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, says the school does not qualify.
7: The DESH identification process is based on the principle of concentrated disadvantage, and that is the issue. Um, deputy, There may well be disadvantage in various schools, but it is the concentration of disadvantage in a particular school at the particular time um, of, of the undertaking of the model.
3: Right, that's number Foley, the Minister for Education. Let's get back to the banned dogs, or more importantly, uh, I suppose, uh, the dangerous dogs and if uh, they should be banned. Matty in RD says, good morning, Michael. It's a, a terrible thing that happened to that poor child. The owner of the dog should be held. Uh, accountable but he says the banning of breeds doesn't work all dogs have teeth And all dogs can bite with those teeth, no matter what the breed is or the size of the dog. Liam says, Michael, the law is not strict enough on the control of dogs. In order to be an owner, one should have to be inspected to see if they're a responsible owner and have adequate premises to keep them under control. Personally, I kept German shepherds for a number of years and never had an issue. They were well minded, secured and never showed aggression to anyone, anyone entering my home. Uh, or outside of my home. It's my belief that it's down to how the dogs are brought up. But yes, there must be strict controls in place and they should be policed properly, he says. Thanks indeed uh, for that, Liam. Maybe a licence for certain breeds, I don't know. Uh, the issue was raised in the Dáil uh, and was uh, brought to uh, the Taoiseach's desk in the doll by Fine Gael TD Alan Dillon yesterday.
9: Taoiseach, I want to raise a serious issue that horrified the nation and terrified parents of young children in recent days. nine-year-old boy suffered what can only be described as horrific injuries on Sunday afternoon when he was savagely attacked by a pit bull dog while playing football with his friends in the green area at his estate where he lives in Wexford. The little boy remains in serious condition in hospital following the attack by the dog that was not under control by its owner, nor was it muzzled. There has been a significant rise in the number of dog attacks on humans in the last five years, with over 1,700 of these attacks reported from 2016 to 2021. Given the difficulty in finding the dog's uh, owner, the full forces of the law need to be applied where an incident such as this that alters a child's life occurs. My question, Taoiseach, is that do we need to do more to target owners of these dogs uh, listed as dangerous breeds who continue to be in public areas without a lead or a muzzle? And does the legislation need to be strengthened uh, to make dog owners accountable for these dangerous who pose a risk to
3: humans. Right, that's Finnegal TD, Alan Dillon. You're going to hear from the Taoiseach now, who says, yes, more needs to be done, uh, the laws need to be policed better, but there's a clear implication in what Michal Martin says here that 10 dangerous breeds uh, may be banned, uh, and this includes pit bulls, German shepherds, and Rottweilers. All our
5: of thoughts are of with um, Alejandro uh, and, and his family uh, and friends following what has been a, a horrific ordeal for that young child um, it's, it's quite shocking and I think all of us are very disturbed by what has transpired here and and a degree of anger as well you know um, I don't understand why there's a need to own such breeds such dangerous breeds I think we should go back to the drawing board um, I don't have the full panoply of legislation that's in front of us but I do think we need to go back to the drawing board because what has happened is one child too many now um, and we all have pets uh, there's no need for this, in my in my view, and it needs to be seriously examined. Um, and I'll revert to the Minister. Uh, uh, in respect Thank to this, you and very whatever much. Whatever cross-departmental approach we can take, we should take. First thing is enforcement, and to make sure there's enforcement. Second issue is the whole area of what, what's driving this and why the necessity for it. Thank you. Turn is up, Deputy.
3: Right, that's the Taoiseach Michael Martin speaking in the doll. Yes, they are phone number oh four one nine eight three two thousand text or WhatsApp oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight or email Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael,
2: michael
1: Reid on, on LMFM. FM.
3: Now we spoke to Labour's Aon O'Reardon earlier in the week about his uh, doll motion to decriminalise drug users, to consider legalising cannabis, and to set a, a date for sit. Assembly to consider the country's approach to drug, drug use and drug misuse going into the future. Let's speak uh, to Local Labour TD Jed Nash who's on the line now. And A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this good. morning. The war on drugs has manifestly been a failure and it's okay to say that, you told the doll yesterday.
10: I did because it has um and all of the evidence shows that it, that it has been a failure. I mean, for as long as you and I care to remember, and all listeners, I'm sure, <clears throat> the fundamental kind of response from society and from you know, successful governments was a criminal justice one, um, a policing one. Um, we have a range of illegal substances that um, are correctly uh, illegal uh, in our country. Um, drug use has grown over the last 25 years. We have also, as well, Michael, the joint highest number of drug-related deaths in the European Union and the strict drug possession laws that we have in this country um, haven't actually acted as a deterrent at all to people who take drugs for their own personal uh, use. So when all the evidence shows that a, a policy is failing, um, and that the policy that's deeply embedded in our culture and has been shared across the political system, then you know, reality would suggest that there needs to be a step change or an our view, a, a sea change. So there is a reality that Every town, village and uh, city in, in this country uh, is, um, to borrow a phrase, wash with drugs. Um, yes, there needs to be a strong criminal justice response, especially towards the gangs. And we've seen that in Drada. But the quelling of gangs uh, and stopping of, of the supply of drugs uh, at entry points into the country has still meant that drugs still come in. People still take them. We want a health-led approach and a harm reduction approach to drug use making sure that um, those who are sick, and we're talking here about sick people, and we see people every day in the streets of Drolod and Dog, R D suffering with their health. I said yesterday in the doll if it was a case that we saw somebody in a situation where it was apparent they were having a heart attack on the street, we would seek to help them. Uh, We see people, often people we know, um, going around the streets of our towns, cities and villages in desperate circumstances, and society, frankly, has let them
3: down. I remember uh, not too long ago seeing uh, a man... Uh, not very far from where you live, by the way, just around the corner from your house, um, uh, uh, lying on the ground. Uh, and uh, I, I, I didn't know if he would overdosed and um, I went saying, will I call an ambulance? And another man said, don't call an ambulance. And then just a stranger came along and said, don't call an ambulance for him because uh, if the paramedics come, they'll sober him up and he'll be very annoyed with you. You uh, are probably not uh, unusual um, in that you have known people all of your life who've died uh, yeah. from heroin overdoses. You told, said this to the doll yesterday.
10: Yeah, I, I, I do. And, and, and there are people who may very well be alive now um, if we had a different approach uh, to the way the society and this culture deals with the reality uh, of drug use. I don't like drug use, and I'd like prefer if people chose not to take drugs, but uh, I'm a practical politician and I'm a responsible citizen uh, who says, look, you know, we spent all of this money on, on primarily on a criminal justice response. Um, this kind of problem we have at the moment in terms of personal drug use is not one that can ever be resolved by more um, prisons, uh, more prison beds. Uh, more jail cells um and what we end up doing is actually criminalizing people who are sick and we do know that um there's an interesting kind of relationship between drugs and mental, mental health uh, people who have mental health conditions uh, may have a a, a, a propensity uh, to rely uh, on what are illegal drugs um to 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 feel better about themselves and um, to, to manage themselves to, to manage their lives um and then that furthermore, has an impact then on their mental health because we do know that um, excessive use of certain drugs um, has an impact on people's mental health and and indeed physical health. So we've got a vicious circle here. And countries like Portugal copped on about 20-odd years ago to say, right, let's take a different approach. Yes, let's be firm and let's be hard on the criminal gangs who destroy our society, who are at the top end of this nasty, nasty supply chain but understand the reality that people will always take drugs and use the resources that we have when you decriminalise the user, Michael, and this is not about, and let's not, let's not conflate this issue, and people do this, and it's, it's confusing understand that for people. This is not about legalising drugs, drugs, it's about decriminalising people who are often very ill, who mm. need support, because the last thing they need is an additional criminal conviction. What they need is resources to enable them to get the treatment that they need to live dignified and decent lives.
3: Okay, but uh, the, the Labour Party is also... Uh, asking uh, that we consider legalizing cannabis
10: That's why well, there's an element of our proposal because I think you know there, there are probably 13, if not more uh, jurisdictions across uh, the world now who have done that and the uh, evidence seems to suggest that um that's been ma- managed reasonably well uh, probably the most prevalent drug in our society uh, is, is cannabis um and you know that that's a reality I don't have the figures before me yeah. I saw them yesterday but the amount of cannabis available in this country and it's just taken fairly casually, um, is, is, is 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 quite is quite interesting, um, and, and there are, I mean, I have read evidence as well mm. to suggest that excessive cannabis use can have it can have an impact on physical and mental health, and we need to be very very careful about how we proceed uh, with that. I'm not entirely persuaded uh, about the direction of travel in that regard but it's a conversation that we need to have uh, Michael, the, and, the,
3: the, and
10: that's, uh, why, that's why we want the citizens assembly mm-hmm. promised by government to convene to actually have a mature okay.
3: and that, that date hasn't been, been set yeah, despite your motion no, being no, uh, uh, there was no objection at least to your motion but uh, the date has not been set uh, and the calls continue that a date be set before Christmas um, it, it, it's just interesting to listen to any debate in the Dáil uh, as a way of gauging public opinion and it's clear that opinion is shifting it was a very unusual debate to be held in the Irish Parliament on uh, the legality or illegality of drugs in this country because there was kind of a consensus there were very little uh, 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 very few uh, uh, objections very little in the way of objections yesterday
10: the, 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 that's right and, and, and one colleague said from another party a he, 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 uh, Sinn Féin a colleague actually turned journalist and he applauded Labour Party for introducing the motion had the courage to do it because he did say this and, and he is right there are no votes uh, in, in, in drugs or taking a different approach to drugs but there is a social requirement and a social demand to do this because frankly what we've been doing for decades now just simply hasn't worked it hasn't been a deterrent um, drugs are there uh, with the best will in the world and we all support the work that the Gardaí have done and they've, they've done an incredible job with the community in Drada in addressing uh, issues in relation to uh, drug supply um, from, crimin- from criminal gangs. But even though the, all the evidence would show and we know this, as people, someone who represents the community and lives in the middle of communities affected uh, by, by, by drugs and, 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 and gang issues, we know that that has been quelled and the Gardaí have done it fantastic job. But we see the evidence before our eyes, Michael. People are still taking drugs. We can Mm. pretend that it's not a problem or we can take a different approach to decriminalise the user. People with small amounts of drugs for their own personal use, do what Portugal did, take the approach that, look, this is an administrative defence for the first and second time. You're directed into services. We're begging still, Michael, for you know, permanent services to be placed, for example, in the Red Door and draw, having constant arguments with the HSE, who are giving out social workers and outreach workers temporary contracts to deal with what is a very, very significant social, economic, community, personal issue for people. There isn't anybody listening to this programme, whether they like it or not, or whether they understand it or not. It hasn't had a family member who hasn't taken drugs, you know, people and family members have taken drugs this week they may not know it but they have okay. uh, there are TDs I said it yesterday a mm-hmm. family member of London would have taken drugs last weekend they may not know that they may not understand that they may not accept that we mm-hmm. need to deal with the world as it is not how it ought to be and how I'd okay. like it to be
3: Alright look uh, we'll leave it there for the moment uh, this discussion will continue but thank you indeed uh, for talking to us uh, this morning Labour Party TD for Loud and Eastmeath uh, Jed Nash Good morning Michael good morning Paul Paul says in regards to the segment on dangerous dogs and the owner of of two german shepherds and i've owned german shepherds for 40 years i've never had any problems my three sons were brought up with them my grandchildren have been brought up with them and now my great-grandson is being brought up with them in my opinion there should be more checks on people who want to own any dog there's no such thing as a bad dog it's just bad owners thank you indeed paul I think that applies to everything, whether the dog is biting, whether it's a dangerous breed, uh, whether uh, it goes to the toilet, because they all go to the toilet. Uh, the question is, do you pick up after them? Uh, I wonder if it is an idea to license owning one of uh, the dangerous breeds or banning them. Uh, that uh, is possibly uh, something that uh, will be looked at uh, the Shock says we need to get back to the drawing board in terms of the legislation uh, we'd uh, call him in touch with the saying these dogs without question should not be allowed into this country it's like the gun laws in America how many times are these tragedies going to happen before something is done we know we cannot rely on owners to abide by the law as some in our communities do not uh, abide by any laws and indeed the laws aren't being enforced unfortunately these dog breeds are more and more associated with the drug trade. Thank you, Colin. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. We'll come to more of those comments before we finish up today. Michael,
1: Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: Don't drink and uh, drive uh, this Christmas. Uh, don't smoke, snort, inject, or pop, and uh, drive uh, this Christmas uh, for that matter. Uh, you may be detected, as you've been hearing. The Gardaí have launched uh, a new system of uh, detecting drug use in motorists, which they'll be using as part of uh, their Christmas road safety campaign. Is it really a problem? Well, by all accounts, it's a very significant problem. Let's speak to Paddy Cummins, who's head of communications with AA Ireland. And a a very good morning to you, Paddy, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You've been taking a a look at the number of motorists who've been detected before this new system.
0: Yeah, it it is quite worrying to see uh, such an increase. And, you know, there have been significant increases over the the past number of years in terms of, of detection. But I suppose you know like the, what they've said in their, in the release earlier this earlier today was that over the last five years there's been 86 fatalities and, and seven hundred sixty five serious injuries over the Christian period, and they're attributing about 30 percent of those in terms of death to having uh, drugs in their system. Oh so it's, a, it's a very worrying statistic, and we know that this is something that has increased greatly over the last uh, few years. It's, it's really jumped up in terms of, of detections. In 2016, uh, 30, about 1,100 samples um, were tested for dr- with drugs other than alcohol, and by 2021 it had increased uh, to 4,321, so nearly a fourfold increase in detections. Mm.
3: Uh, and when you say that there was drugs found in the systems of 30% of the drivers involved in these fatal incidents, does that mean that they were off their heads?
0: It, it could be. It, it's an often a combination, Michael. So it's not just you know it might not just be the, dro- the drugs themselves. It's often a combination of the drugs and the alcohol. But the difficulty is, and, and this is what's being borne out by uh, some of the new detections that are coming out today. It's often obviously illegal drugs, the likes of uh, you know. Cannabis, uh, heroin, cocaine, and they have different mm. effects. But it's also the, it can also be, unfortunately, so the, the benzodiazepans and the the Valiums and the likes of those. So drugs which might are either might, might be prescription or might have been attained illegally, and but are possibly you know a little bit more accessible in some cases, and they would have the effect of really sort of dumbing down your senses. Mm. Uh, so so really, a lot of the warning on this today is look. Um, just be careful as well if you are being prescribed uh, medications, no, which no. might be might be legal, but they may have a, an adverse effect on your driving. But but in in reality, really, a lot of these um, instances are now. Just to the in some cases increased drug use and, and some you know some um, some people aren't you know using alcohol as much mm. but are maybe using drugs instead
3: I suppose what i'm asking you is if people are off their heads uh, or or not even though the drugs are found in their system because some of these drugs can stay in your system for months on end can't they
0: oh absolutely yeah i, I mean the the test I was looking into the test that they are rolling out I was looking at some YouTube videos from the manufacturers on and how they work, and they do have a very um, you know, a fairly good accuracy rate, and the test itself is is very much like an antigen test, and we're all pretty much used to doing those at this stage. So, it it's, uh, it uses saliva from inside the mouth, uh, and uh, the test is done at the side of the road and takes just about five minutes. And then, if there is a detection, they they do do back it up with a blood test, but um it, it is it is a, it's a more wide ranging test now so what they wouldn't have been able to get before were some of the amphetamines and methamphetamines and uh, drugs that were you know maybe manufactured in uh, in in sort of sheds around the country that can happen as well but, mm. um so these we a more wide ranging selection of drugs will be taken in with the uh, with this uh with this test
3: okay you've been writing about this uh on your blog on the AA website and uh, I think listeners will be interested to hear uh, what you've said uh, about some people who are detected to have consumed drugs, uh, there's drugs found in their system, it's been detected, uh, but in some circumstances, they may be waved on by the Garda who has detected it. Well,
0: I, just before I uh, came on the phone to you, Michael, I was uh, chasing the Garda press office in the RSA because there was a line on that which didn't make any sense. They had, MD, they had including methamphetamine and MDMA um, I've since clarified that that was a typo uh, with them, so we've changed it on our own blog, but they had in, in the press release that uh, you could be waived on even if you had MDMA in your system. Now, MDMA, uh, of course, is an illegal drug. It's the chemical comp- compound you'll find in ecstasy. So, so no, that is illegal, and that wouldn't be the case. But you will find, obviously, benzodiazepines and, uh, would be, include the likes of Valium, and mm. uh, opiates would be found in very strong... Uh, pain medication. So there would be instances where someone would be legally driving or or legally um, Mm. holding both of those chemicals in their system but um, it obviously it could affect your driving. But in, in a case if someone has been prescribed it and there's no issue, then there's no issue. But okay. they, there was a typo in that in that press release.
3: Okay, I'm glad it's clear though, because I really was scratching my head there for a minute. Uh, me too, me too. Okay, but 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 uh, if you are discovered to be driving, uh, to be drug driving, uh, you will be prosecuted and disqualified, will you?
0: Yeah, the offences are, are are quite stringent, so. Uh, they can range from um, about a year to two years, but if, they're, for, if there's an existing offence, uh, it can be up to four years for a first event and six years for a second or, or subsequent It depends on, the obviously, the situation, the interpretation of the guardie, but it can range from a, a ban from from less than a year to up to, uh, to up to 6 years for a second or subsequent so offense.
3: Okay, but it's a a driving offense, it's not a, a drugs offense, is it?
0: Well, I mean they, 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 uh, they, there is a discretion in so far as um and I, I did t- chat to about this this morning about the actual possession if they were found, if the drugs were found on you, that's a different than if it's actually in you. Um so the uh, you know they having you detecting on your system isn't doesn't appear to be the same as if you were actually caught with the drug. So uh, there may be a driving ban, um, obviously, but the offence would be, uh, you know, a toxicology you know, report rather than a, an offence for actually possession.
3: Mm. Makes you think, doesn't it, when you're driving along about uh, who's driving in the opposite direction to you or behind you or whatever? Uh,
0: well, look, it, like anything else, we just have to, you know, especially yeah. leading up to this time of year, we, we know that the, the Christmas period, is uh, is is one which we have to be extra careful on. Sure. There's there's a disproportionate amount of accidents and road deaths this time of year. So just look, we all are a little bit excited this time of year and mm. drive around, and our minds might be elsewhere. We just
3: need to be careful. Yeah, it's a big decision, though, that anybody takes to get in behind the wheel of a, a car under the influence of any of uh, these substances, and alcohol, possibly the worst of all. Paddy, we leave it there. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us. Paddy Cummins, Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Some more of those comments coming to us now. Uh, another uh, text uh, about uh, the dogs uh, from Jared Brady, who says, I think that all of the dangerous Breeds that were mentioned, that's the 10 dangerous breeds, should be banned. None of those dogs should be allowed in the country, Jared says. People who refuse to follow the law should be jailed and fined 5,000 euro. On drugs, apparent, as the Texas sign says, uh, there was drug use going on, my, uh, on in my farmyard. I put up CCTV, they pulled down the CCTV. I contacted the guardian, and I was told nothing could be done. I ended up selling my farm because it, it couldn't be stopped. Uh, Michael and Navin says isn't it a disgrace to see bankers getting scandalous bonuses when our doctors, nurses and teachers are leaving the country because of low pay for long shifts in the case of medical staff roll on the next election he says because uh, the cosy arrangement between uh, the government partners is going to end what a slap in the face for the rest of workers who work so hard and a lot harder than the bankers says Michael and Navin thanks for your text Michael Reed on LMFM. The UK's internal market bill continues uh, to make its way uh, through Westminster and it will give the British government uh, the opportunity, if it wants it, to rip up the Northern Ireland Protocol. It's a, a pretty serious piece of legislation, but the EU is responding with its own piece of legislation which will increase the EU's enforcement powers. This is what uh, the European Commission's Brexit lead, Mara Sefcovic, is uh, describing as continued unity in action. The Irish Times is reporting today that this legislation, which will revoke free trade arrangements with Britain and will result in retaliatory trade tariffs, will come into force from early next year. Paddy Malone is uh, the spokesperson for the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. And a very good morning to you, Paddy, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, that may uh, give uh, the British some pause for thought.
11: Yeah, I, I think this is a case of hopefully both sides uh, squaring up to each other and a certain amount of shadow boxing. Uh, I think, in, uh, particularly on the on the um, uh, Irish side or the European side, I think we know the consequences, particularly for Northern Ireland. We've been very, you know, the, the European Union has, unlike the financial crisis in two thousand and seven and eight, have been very, very. Uh, receptive and and responsible in its in its approach and recognizing the the needs of the of the uh, of the whole island of ireland i mean and there's no question but that northern ireland has benefited from the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, That is a matter of historical fact. But this is
3: Europe getting out and ready for the fight. Europe
11: is... Europe... We would be criticising Europe if they didn't get ready for it. Mm. I mean, what the British are trying to do with this internal bill is nothing short of tearing up you know, 50 years of uh, negotiations and treaties and everything else and saying, we're going to do something by ourselves. I mean, it's unparalleled. I can't think of anywhere else in the Western world where a country would behave in this manner. And if, if any, if the French or the Germans or the Italians or anybody else was to behave in this manner, I know what the British would say about it, that it's, you know, it's, it, well, what do you expect from continentals or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, we're listening to the, quote, mother of parliaments actually ignoring their own rules, ignoring what's going on on for 50 years, mm. and just deciding, uh, it's my ball, I'm playing it my way, or I'm taking my ball home.
3: Okay, we don't want that, uh, <laughs> Europe kidding out and ready for the fight, but we don't want that either.
11: No, but we can't expect Europe not to be ready for the fight. I mean, we would be criticising them very strongly mm. if they didn't move to protect the internal European market. And there's no doubt but that the market has to be protected. And we all recognise that fact.
3: But damned if you do, uh, I suppose, and and damned if you do the other, the only solution is to get back to the protocol.
11: We have to get back to the protocol. The protocol is the only game in town. And there may be tweaks needed to it, but that's all that's needed to it. And, and, and this is what's coming through from Northern Ireland Business, which has at long last begun to speak up. Northern Ireland, I was critical on this program and on others that Northern Ireland Chamber had not come out and said where, what, what, what it thought. It is now coming out. Mm. I mean, and Geoffrey Donaldson in the last couple of weeks has had to admit that he ran with a story that, you know, Brexit was messing up a, a, a vital piece of equipment for a hospital. And has now had to admit that was completely untrue. Okay, uh, so these scaremongering f- f- features of the DUP and the Conservative government in Britain have to be challenged, and that is what the European Union is doing.
3: Okay, the legislation was uh, agreed yesterday. Uh, the Irish Times reports uh, by the European Parliament representatives and uh, the European Commission. Uh, do you believe uh, that that agreement was reached and that this report uh, is in front of us uh, today? Coincidentally. Uh, with uh, Ursula von der Leyen's uh, address which will take place later later to the Oireachtas.
11: No, of course not. These, these things are well choreographed. I mean, I'm sure if I had uh, the, uh, Ursula's diary for the next three weeks I could see exactly what was being planned and what pressures were going to be put on, what dates were going to be done between now and Christmas. Of course it was all, it's all pre-planned. But that's what I'm saying. You have to get ready. And you have to be prepared.
3: So you're expecting a up. strong message from Ursula von der Leyen on the protocol. I a strong message.
11: I mean, look, the European Union have pussyfooted around with this for long enough. Um, it's interesting to see that Joe Biden is, is uh, throwing out the red carpet for the French. He's not mm-hmm. throwing it out for the British. The the idea that they would get to a situation of getting a special trading relationship with the U, between UK and US, that's gone. OK,
3: because but this U- gets us to the nub of the matter that the backdrop of the Irish parliament Parliament for a statement from the President of the European Commission uh, could uh, be very powerful optics.
11: Yeah, and I think it would be. Listen, there's subtlety, and then there's just simply plain, plain speaking. And it's about time we had plain speaking from the Europe to let them let the British know. Look, we've we've messed around with this for long enough. The, the reality of the situation is the European Union has long ago moved away from Brexit because Brexit's of relevance to us and to the French, and possibly to the Germans. But apart from that, Eastern Europe is far more concerned about the Syrian refugee situation, the war in Ukraine, and climate change. Those are the three big, big uh, items of, uh, on the agenda of any European MEP. Brexit is a distant fourth. It's not, it's not a live issue in the same way that it is for us. We live, I mean, I live nine miles from the border. My, most of my clients as an accountant would be doing cross-border activities. So, of course, it's, it's relevant to me, and it's live every minute of the day.
3: Okay. Well, Brussels we'll, has moved on. Well, we'll hear what the President of the Commission says in uh, the Dáil Chamber later. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning, Paddy Malone, Piero of Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9am LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye.
2: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. michael at lmfm.ie. LMFM podcasts with CNC carpets. We bring the showroom to you or book a new showroom appointment on 87 660
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.